Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Awesome. So we have Mickey Reynolds here of Grid 110, and we're going to get a chance to dive into an ecosystem I'm sure you all are, are interested and curious about, and that is LA, although your mission, Mickey, is global, it seems, but we'll dig into that as we go further in. But why don't we just take a step back and educate us all on kind of where you grew up and what that was like. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. California born and raised. I grew up uh, in the Bay Area, on the East Bay, in a little island town called Alameda. It's right next to Oakland. My dad was in the military. So my dad was in the Navy. My mom's from Japan. Um, my dad was like this surfer kid from Santa Barbara who wanted to leave home as quickly as he was able to. So at you know age 18, signed himself up for the military and was shipped overseas. Uh, they met in Japan, came back here to the States and, and had me here. So kind of grew up from a multicultural background, both teaching me English and Japanese as I was learning languages. So it's been um, kind of fun to grow up with that type of like, identity. I went to school and like kind of stayed up in the Bay Area um, until I left to go to LA. I went to UCLA and I've been in Los Angeles ever since. So I was kind of the ever overachieving mixed kid, you know, good grades, played sports. Uh, yearbook, you know, student council, all of those things to get into my number one dream school, which was UCLA. And then when I got to LA, it felt like a complete fish out of water. It's, you know, my high school was 500 students total. My freshman class at UCLA was 4,000. So it was very much a culture shock in a number of different ways of, you know, coming from a smaller town to the big city life. And so it was a really big transition trying to kind of find my footing and place at school there. What a journey. And I actually am a little bit familiar with Alameda. I spent a summer in the Bay and got a chance to to see some of that. So that's cool. You went from from uh, the Bay to L.A. But now tell us about your tech background, because I saw maybe even so you're kind of continually educating yourself like in the space. But take a step back, because some folks who come on the on the broadcast, they don't uh, have a large tech background. Others develop it later. But what is your story? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the age of the internet. Um, I had AOL at 13 years old and kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of what was out there beyond, you know, my hometown. And I think just the access to information and people and resources was so fascinating to me. And I knew kind of growing up that I wanted to somehow work in, you know, the, the internet space. But I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And for me, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't exposure to you know, if you want to work in this space, oh, you should be a, a coder or a developer. And so you should study computer science to do that. Um, for me, it was more like, I just need to get through school and then figure my way around it. And so I was a um, sociology major uh, in school. And so I'm, I'm non-technical in terms of education, but I just knew that I wanted to work in this space. So, you know, I learned as much as I could. I got internships um, and the, the like to really expose me to the different opportunities that were there. My first job out of school was working for MGM Studios. So I worked for in the entertainment industry and I was an executive assistant to like the CTO there. So I, again, got full exposure to all of the IT, you know, infrastructure, software, things that really make the movie studios work, the non-glamorous side, I think, of the movie studios. And it was that exposure, you know, working on the, the digital teams there and then moving over to Fox um, of building websites and managing large digital campaigns and projects that was kind of stacking my skills and education. So again, didn't really know how to code, but I, I learned how to like just basically edit like HTML so I could edit our newsletters or make simple changes to the website so I didn't have to bother somebody. I was all about trying to like 
not necessarily find shortcuts, but just like if it was something that I could learn so that I didn't have to go through like the submission and request process for somebody else to have to do it. Like I wanted to take that on myself. And that's kind of how I've navigated my entire career. I've just learned by doing. I have taken some classes just to better understand the different spaces or different roles that I was taking on because I wanted to better educate myself. But yeah, I come from a very non-traditional background and I've just you know spent 16 now years in the industry just learning as I go. So now you found a way to break in. Now you're helping others to break in also. So tell us about Grid 110 and from where did this idea originate? Yeah, so about seven years ago, I came to a, a career crossroads for myself. I had been you know, working in entertainment and large, you know, cor- global corporations quickly realized after a couple of years, I did not want to work in entertainment and I didn't want to work for large companies. I felt like a cog in the machine and I wanted to see if I could have some sort of a greater impact with what I was doing and find some sort of, you know, mission alignment. So I moved away from the studios. I worked for a small software development agency. Again, just like cut my teeth and everything from starting as a project manager, moving all the way up to VP. And there came a point, uh, I was at that company for about six years, kind of helped to rebuild it from the ground up. Uh, the company shut down. And so we ran out of funding. And uh, I think it's the telltale story for a lot of companies at early stage and alike, not having either the right business model or financial resources to continue the business. So we ended up having to lay everybody off. And it was a really challenging time for myself. I think I was struggling with that because I felt like I'd let our team down. Um, how did I not know that this was happening? Um, was there something I could have helped to do to prevent it? You know, there, there, these things happen, right? So I think I was just super burnt out at that point. So I took a little bit of time to try and figure out what I wanted to do next. And I spent, you know, the first 10 years of my career building things for other people and ultimately, you know, got climbed the, the career ladder that I thought I was trying to reach the pinnacle of, but not ultimately fulfilled at the end of the day. So I spent some time trying to figure out what that looked like for me. Um, so two pathways emerged out of that, you know, really wanting to create the things I felt like needed to exist in the world. The first was I was living in downtown LA at the time I still live in downtown. And for anybody familiar with the Los Angeles tech ecosystem, most of it resides on the west side. So the Silicon Beach area, Santa Monica, Venice, Playa Vista. But we all know Los Angeles is huge, and there are all these different pocket communities that have risen up to support innovation and, you know, in our own backyard. So anywhere from Pasadena to Glendale to Hollywood to Culver City to the South Bay. And so living in downtown and downtown going through this like renaissance of a place that people actually wanted to go. So if you come to L.A., you know that there are great bars and restaurants and hotels here. Um, there is great nightlife. Uh, there's lots of job opportunities here. So it's really a place that you could live, work, and play in the same area. And we just felt like a, a group of people that I started connecting with who felt really strongly about this vision for downtown LA being the next startup hub, but maybe not having that you know identity yet or missing a sense of community that was bringing people together. Um, and so connected with this group of people, very similar entrepreneurs who lived or worked in downtown felt very similar about this. And so in my kind of job seeking quest of trying to find a community, ultimately ended up building the community that I was seeking. Um, And that founding team uh, resulted in uh, launching Grid 110. Fantastic. And you said a buzzword, uh, early stage, because even in the last few years, it seems like the definition of early stage has begun to evolve. If I had a dollar for every time I realized uh, in talking with somebody that early stage could mean, you know, two million in revenue, but <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking it's something different. Uh, so can you talk to us a little bit about why you wanted to focus on the earlier, earlier founders rather than the trend upwards that we might be seeing in, in various markets? 
Yeah. So in our kind of fact-finding mission, as we were starting to get Grid 110 off the ground and figuring out what exactly it was going to be, what was the problem that we were going to solve, you know, what were entrepreneurs looking for, um, we realized that, you know, one, just the statistic of how many businesses don't make it past you know, year two, um, or how many people who have ideas for things, but unless they have the right resources, the connections, the network, um, people that they can, you know, bounce thoughts around after, they have no idea how to get these ideas off the ground. Like unless you go to business school, unless you study entrepreneurship, but most people are starting business every day. And they just, it's something that they create either out of a necessity, they see a problem. Um, and so for us, it was how can we, one, create a place that fosters a sense of community amongst entrepreneurs, particularly at the earliest stages of them starting a business? Can we layer in crucial resources, whether it's curriculum, um, access to a network, mentors, um, different resources that they might need that would help them maybe start from just an idea and be able to help ideate that idea to see if it's a valid business opportunity and then continue to help it grow. And so I felt like we felt that that was the most critical stage. And then the other aspect of it was, you know, in, in terms of creating the community that we felt we wanted to exist and like didn't was from really a diversity lens. And it was, you know, Silicon Beach and the tech industry in general is very white, very male. And so the the founding team being coming from diverse backgrounds, wanting to see if we could create a community that better reflected the communities that we saw every day and where we came from. Um, and f finding out more and more as we were talking to entrepreneurs that most people don't feel like they identify with the, the startup communities or they see programs and they're like, is that for me? I'm not really sure. I don't feel reflected in that. And so wanting to create a space that felt like it looked like, you know, the everyday communities that we all live in um, and fostered that sense of community around the businesses that people were building as well. So let's dig into that a little bit more, because that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I'm sure obviously we co-signed the diversity as a strategy. But if you're a founder or budding entrepreneur who's listening to this right now, you've probably seen an accelerator before and made a decision on whether or not that was for you. Who are the best candidates to be founders in Grid 110? Like you have access and your brand has continued to expand. I'm sure you have no shortage of applications, but who is the best candidate? So if I'm listening right now and I'm not quite there, how can I bridge that gap? Yeah. So I think the exciting thing about the opportunity that we've created is that we're not looking for a single type of founder, right? Um, I think that there are all different types. So I can talk about like a couple of the different profiles that we see. Um, so in terms of the type of business that you're working on, we're not solely looking for like venture scale businesses. So you don't have to be the next Facebook or Snap or, you know, thinking about a billion dollar company. Um, we work with more traditional small businesses. So we've got, you know, brick and mortar, uh, food, restaurants. Um, we have a working with a florist right now. Um, we work with companies that have launched a brand, say, on Shopify um, and are selling. It could be handbags. It could be clothing. Um, it could be sunscreen. Um, and then we also work with, you know, technology driven companies that are, you know, trying to solve massive problems. And that usually requires scale to be effective at what they're doing. And so I think it's been really interesting to see just the mix of companies. Um, and when we talk about diversity, it's not just from like a gender or ethnicity perspective. It's like the types of business, your business model. We've worked with some nonprofits as well. So it's really focusing on the entrepreneur who has uh, a either a background in kind of what they're doing. So they have some sort of subject matter expertise in the space. Maybe they worked in a specific field for a certain amount of time, have discovered problems in that field that they wish that they could solve and are now doing that. Um, or have stumbled across just like something really something that they're just passionate about. 
Um, I think the key thing that we look for in our applications is do you understand the problem that you're solving? Um, and, you know, why does this thing need to exist? Why are you the person to bring this about? And we, we kind of leave it up to, to the applicants to really tell us, you know, their stories. Um, and it's hard to say from a criteria standpoint, like what makes one company stand out you know, rather than the other, but we give you a few ways to do that. So it's, whether it's through the written application, through a short video that you can submit, because some people just come alive when they talk about what they're doing um, and they're either able to show us uh, or talk through it, or we can kind of get a sense for, you know, do we feel like they'll be coachable? Uh, will they take feedback? Are they, you know, is what we provide in terms of the community and the resources what they're looking for. Uh, and so try to make sure that it's a good fit and an alignment in that way too. That makes sense. Uh, back to those applicants once they enter the program, what's it like working with folks who either have a demanding day job, a family, maybe both, while they're trying to pitch and grow their startup idea? What's that like? Yeah, we've seen all of that. I, and I think that's the, the unique thing about our community too, is that is knowing that uh, entrepreneurs are not just 23-year-olds coming out of college to start a business. Um, the the ones I'm most excited about have maybe a career's worth of experience doing something, um, and they're either now taking the leap or thinking about doing it. Um, and so when we started developing and designing our programs, we wanted to make it flexible for people that could be working a full-time job and haven't like made that full-time commitment yet to the business. Um, so our programs actually take place in the evenings. Um, we've been virtual for the past year. We were an in-person kind of classroom-based setting for the first five years. And then because of the pandemic went virtual. And I think I've found that this uh, one, we were able to meet everybody where they're, everybody was at home anyways. Um, we were able to meet them where they were at through Zoom. Um, and so it's a, the program sessions are weekly, two hours in the evenings. Um, it can be a long day for a lot of people, you know, especially if you're, you know, you've got a nine to five and then you're transitioning into this or you've got to put the kids to bed in the middle. Um, but I feel like it's been something that has made it more accessible for people. Um, the virtual nature of it, the fact that it's in the evening, um, it's a very kind of like part time program. So we're not telling you to put your, you know, everything on hold for three months and move somewhere. Um, and stop working on your business and only focus on this. It's really meant to layer in support on top of what you're already doing. So whether you are running the business full time and can just carve out this time, you know, to, to attend the program sessions, we found that a lot of entrepreneurs, regardless of the stage that they're in, but particularly when they're running their business full time, they're so in the weeds on the details of the everyday operations that they're not working on their business. So they're working in the business, but not on the business. So this is an opportunity to pull back a little bit, be a little bit more strategic in terms of, you know, taking some steps back of whether you've been working on this for a couple of months or a couple of years um, and get feedback from other people. I think that's the, the hard part is a lot of folks either don't um, reach out or ask for that type of feedback. Um, and so there's a little bit of tunnel vision in what they're doing. Um, but then it allows them to get so many different perspectives from the group, our team, anybody that we bring in. Nice. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit. And I tell this story often uh, on the podcast because it really hit home with me. Uh, there's a story about um, a religious figure who was speaking to you know, their flock, their congregation, and talking about what they would do 
if they had $1 million, this was a, you know, a strapped organization, they needed the money, and it was talking about what they would do if they had $1 million. And there was somebody listening who ultimately became their benefactor and gave them that million and they were able to execute on their plan. Now we pose the question to you, Mickey, uh, if you had $1 million in funding right now today, no strings attached, nobody to report to, they wanted just for you to use it because it's best in your hands. How are you spending that cash? It's funny. I've actually been going through this this very thought process recently. Um, so we are an LA based and focused organization. You know, the past six years we've been focused on entrepreneurs here in Los Angeles. Um, our funding mostly comes from the city of LA and other charitable partners. We're a nonprofit, and I guess it's important to mention we don't charge for our programs. We don't take any equity. So. The funders that we do have make it game changing for these entrepreneurs. You know, it's it's lowering the barrier of access for this type of information and community. And it can be such a catalyst for so many of these entrepreneurs. So when we think about like, well, what's next, right? So we've worked with 200 companies so far, um, 70% of the companies led by women, 70% led by founders of color just here in Los Angeles. We want to take it to another level. And so we're we're looking at, you know, lifting up with how can we expand from the, using the virtual program aspect of it um, and reach more entrepreneurs? So I would take that million dollars and I would run nationwide, maybe even global programs that would allow more companies that need these types of resources that may not be in some of these emerging startup market cities where they you know, can pop into an event or, or get these resources locally. They may be in more remote areas, um, but are solving you know, uniquely challenging problems. Um, so I would want to see how can we scale the impact um, by kind of lifting up out of Los Angeles and, and seeing where else we could go. Absolutely. And it's maybe easy to forget that you're a founder yourself, having founded Grid 110 and you're giving advice all the time. What is the most profitable piece of advice that you've received since you first started this journey? Ooh, that is a good question. It really comes down to to team, you know, like uh I didn't do this by myself, but you know, I had a, an amazing group of co-founders. I think we were all made this, we were all uniquely positioned to get this off the ground in terms of the connections and resources that we have. And I've not been able to grow this by myself. I've had an incredible team um, that I work with every day um, that has grown even just over the past few months that I sit back and I look at just like the incredible things that they're able to accomplish with new perspectives and fresh energy and all of these things. And so it really is just like, who, who's on your team. And I think that that goes for life, that goes for whether you're just coming out of college or you're, you know, start your own company um, and hiring people. It's like figuring out like who you've worked with that you would want to work with again and treating the teammates that you have like, like they are teammates, right? And so it's, you don't do this alone. It takes a village. And I think investing in the team and making sure that they have the resources, the training, the support that they feel fulfilled and aligned around the mission. They will go on and do incredible things here in this organization and then in the future as well. Absolutely. And we know it's not all, uh, you know, business all the time. Some, you know, there's fun involved in mixing there. What's the most fun that you've had with Grid 110? Just curious. <laughs> it's really funny because I think that there's, there's a huge like work-life blend with what I do. I think when I came into this role. So I was one of the co-founders, but I wasn't working in the business for the first two years. I was working somewhere else and just kind of doing stuff behind the scenes. And then when we came into our funding for the city, 
and actually had the opportunity to hire people on the team, our board looked at me and was like, you're looking for something new. Is this something that you'd want to do? So I've been running grade one tenth for the past four years myself. It is the most fun that I've had in any job. And I think the opportunity to work with such like driven, creative, passionate entrepreneurs, the team that we have, the partners that we get to work with, people always look to me and be like, do you have entrepreneurial, you know, dreams and desires. I'm like, I'm doing it right now. Like, why would I start one business when I can work with so many different ones? And it's, you know, it it can be challenging, but fun to context switch in between meetings with with founders and, you know, talking about, you know, a B2B SaaS company at one minute and then a CPG food company the next. Um, but I think that th- that's also the fun part in this community that we've created is that they all provide so much value to each other. And just seeing the way that they give back their own time so generously, whether we have alumni that are now mentoring the, the current cohort that we're working with, or seeing um, just connections being made in our Slack channels, um, and friendships developing, it's been really fun just to witness just the organic, like evolving nature of this community. I can only imagine you might have raised your own stakes for this next question a little bit, given how much you've talked up, you know, LA and the live, work, play and the like. But we like to ask uh, our guests, you know, which artist most inspires their work, largely because we, we find there's a pretty clear nexus, you know, within the entrepreneurial community with artists and the like. And we've got some pretty cool responses from, you know, where people are getting their motivation and inspiration from. Uh, so which artist most inspires your work? It could be, you know, who's in your head phones or AirPods when you're listening. It could be, you know, where you like to go and escape to to kind of get refreshed. But which artist most inspires your work? The first one that actually popped into my head is Pharrell. And so he just recently launched in the past year his Black Ambition uh, organization. And it's, you know, supporting, directly supporting Black and Latinx entrepreneurs, uh, both coming out of like the HBCU uh, systems, as well as just across the country. Um, They did like a big million dollar initiative uh, that was like a part training program, like kind of pitch competition and to put really put money into the hands of people. And I think I'm seeing more and more the, the lines blurring between whether it's artists, uh, celebrities, athletes, and either philanthropy or tech, you know, that there are more people are starting to invest um, and becoming angel investors and being really smart about their money. Um, and so I think it's that the people that don't stay in their lane, the people that have the courage to do, you know, work outside of the spaces that they know so well. It's like the, you know, when the, the saying around telling athletes to shut up and dribble, I think that the, the ones that don't. Uh, the ones that are standing up when it comes to racial injustice, the ones that are doing something like Drew and Lauren Holiday, who just gave a million dollars to Black founders in different cities across the country, nonprofits and small businesses. So I think the ones that are looking outside of what they do, I mean, Drew just won the gold medal last night for basketball and then just won the NBA championship. But he has a foundation that can play with his wife that just continues to do amazing things. So I think you know, the, these people that have reached such pinnacles in their career, but are leaving behind an incredible legacy that is going to impact so many people. I can only hope to aspire to do like a little bit of what they're doing. That kind of gives me chills a little bit. Uh, and maybe it's fitting for this kind of next back and forth, because I want to get real. I mean, we've been real, but I want to get even more real. How do you create balance 
from your and with your existing relationships as you grow your business and you expand in new relationships and new ventures? How do you balance those two? Because it's something that is probably on a lot of folks' minds. It's something that we all have to deal with, probably included your founders as well. So just curious how you think about that. Yeah, we we actually did a session this week on prioritization. And I think like, you know, figuring out what your priorities are from a personal standpoint, work standpoint, day to day, week, like, you know, how do you plan out things? And I think it really comes down to that. Like, what do you prioritize? And I think to to try and strive for that balance, it's you have to prioritize yourself sometimes. And that I got invited to this like f- very fun sounding event today but I've had a hellish week and I'm just exhausted. And I think I would just like, I would love to be there. And I'm having so much FOMO because of people that are going to be there and the names and the brands. And it would be a really good networking opportunity for us. But I just have to make sure that I'm like, no, I need to take a day for myself and, you know, maybe not do anything or maybe just read or just like kind of catch up on the week. Because I think as specifically as an entrepreneur, as a leader, if you're not taking care of yourself, everything will suffer. So your your work can suffer, your team can suffer, your customers or the people that you're trying to serve can suffer. And so things around whether it's self-help or finding, you know, moments of mindfulness. I recently started therapy and not for any particular reason. It was more so I want to bring the best version of myself to all of these different spaces that I'm in, but also for myself. And I think being able to take that time to talk through certain things with people is really important. So I think it's just a matter of prioritizing. Absolutely. And you gave us a bit of an appetizer here, but let's let's talk LA's startup ecosystem. I'm based in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. I came from New York. Great startup ecosystem there. We have folks and listeners and many podcast uh, guests who are coming from London. We're hoping to expand and meet more folks on the continent. Uh, of Africa, you know, obviously the Bay and Silicon Valley has its own reputation. But for LA, describe to us, you know, kind of how being from LA is giving you that advantage. And if LA could only keep one thing about it that would ensure its continued success in the startup community, what would that one unique thing be? Oh, yeah. Um, so I've been a staunch advocate for the LA ecosystem for, you know, the past. Uh, as long as I've been here, but got really active on the community building and ecosystem side probably about six or seven years ago. I, I I've worked in tech my entire career, but I never really felt a part of that community until recently. And I think that there is so much opportunity here. One, because in Los Angeles, tech is not the dominant industry. Like there, you know, you can go to any coffee shop and like if you're in San Francisco, you go to a coffee shop, you're going to be hearing about deals being made and you know all the jargon and terminology. Whereas here, like you could be hearing you know, different languages because a lot of tourists are here or it's like an incredibly diverse city. And so I think that's one of the bonuses that I like about it. It's like, it's not the dominant industry, but everywhere you look are entrepreneurs. So I live in downtown LA, got small business owners, people peddling things on the streets. Like, you know, whenever it rains, there's going to be somebody on the corner that's got umbrellas for you. And so people that really capitalize on opportunities and are smart about it in order to generate you know, revenue for themselves. The thing that I think that stands out for me um, is the diversity. So 73% of Angelinos identify as a person of color. Um, I think that there was a report that was just published by Pledge LA, which is a joint venture between the mayor's office, the Annenberg Foundation, and the venture and tech community that measures and benchmarks DEI efforts across the ecosystem. And they just released statistics that, you know, we've all heard the horrendous numbers around 
who gets funding and that, you know, less than 2% of women and, you know, even less for people of color. And so the report that was just released by Pledge LA said that LA is leading the nation when it comes to investing in Black and Latinx and women founders. And so it's better than, you know, the average. It's still low. But I think that we're moving in the right direction. There is still so much work that needs to be done in this space. But I think if that is the one thing that LA can be known for and to continue to build on that, to be seen as the place that really embraces diversity and is is doing meaningful things to change these numbers, then I'm all for that. And that's it. That's the pitch. Learned a new word too, Angelito. That's (laughs) uh, So talk to us about uh, a pivot that you think changed your career, even saved your career. Oftentimes, you know, founders come to a point where they have to decide one way or the other, they make a pivot and it makes all the difference. For you, what was that moment like, whether with Grid 110 or in another context? I think in my career in general, I think the the company that I worked at shutting down was a huge like pivot for me because it was a forced pivot. I really had no idea what I was going to do next, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Everything that came after that has been incredible in terms of the people that I have met, the opportunities that I've either been able to create for myself or have been able to seize. I can't imagine being in a different place than I am today. So I think even the things that maybe were challenging or hard or that we struggle through happen for a reason. And then on the grid 110 side, I think it's really the, oddly enough, the pandemic because of us being forced to go virtual and remote, I think it's changed a lot of things and it's forced us to really focus in on our programs and running, you know, the best in class virtual programs that we can, making sure that, you know, we have our stuff together from a scheduling standpoint, from a delivery standpoint, from experience standpoint. Community is so much harder to build online than it is in person. And so we've had to be really creative around that to make sure that people feel like they're not getting a second rate experience because it's not in person. And so I think that that what happened last year and has continued to happen, like I, I, it's opened our eyes to the possibilities of, you know, what we can do through Zoom and even just working from home. I think our team feels really happy from like the work from home, you know, environment and having maybe more flexible schedules and being able to actually even hire people that aren't here in Los Angeles. And so I think that that the changes have been for the better. And I'm excited to see, you know, what we're able to build upon with this. Absolutely. Nothing short of impressive. Uh, Earlier, you mentioned the support from Mayor Garcetti's office, and I'm sure they would be okay if you expanded that recognition beyond that. So who have been the most helpful uh, communities in growing Grid 110, both the work and the brand? Yeah. So the mayor's office has been a partner of ours since the very beginning. Um, So back in 2015, you know, we pitched it as this group that was doing something around innovation, accelerating innovation in downtown LA. And the kind of vision that at the time was to, you know, do that same thing in kind of underserved areas across Los Angeles. So where we started in downtown LA, our companies now come from all over Los Angeles. We expanded actually and ran specific programs in South Los Angeles, which is predominantly Black and Latinx. And most of the founders reflected those communities as well. So kind of starting in 2015, the mayor's office has been you know, hugely incredible in terms of support. We've worked with a ton of different community organizations, like particularly in South LA. There's a, an organization called Plug in South LA that runs a, a conference every year called the Urban Tech Connect Conference. And it again, started physically rooted in South Los Angeles or South Central, as it's also known, to to connect resources and to bring that innovation here into the area 
to connect founders with you know other types of resources that can be helpful in growing their business. And they now run a virtual conference that anybody can access. And so it's been really great to see just the collaborative opportunities that arise across the LA ecosystem. I think that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about LA is like the collaborative nature of partnerships are really easy to access here and people wanting to, you know, how can we do stuff together that values aligned and, you know, we have similar goals. So it's less of a competitive nature. I think I mentioned to you before the recording, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. Apparently they have a lot of grass. So if you hear that in the background, that's why we're here. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to ask you a question that we ask our founders, which is, do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? And this will give us an entry point into how you're thinking about the growth. It's a question that we actually ask our entrepreneurs as well. You know, what type of company do you want to be? Do you want to be a billion dollar company? Do you know what it takes to get there, the resources that are needed, the growth expectations? Or, you know, do you want to run a more sustainable growth company? So it's kind of like, you know, uh, we throw the question at them, would you rather have 90% of a $5 million company or 10% of a you know $500 million company? So we get a sense for where they, the trajectory of where they want to take that business. For me, it's, you know, I think about if we could get a billion dollars in funding, we could do a lot of really amazing things with that. Would I want that? Yes, absolutely. And I think that we could be really creative because we think about it in a different way. It's like not necessarily that we're generating a billion dollars in revenue or that we're worth a billion dollars as a nonprofit. It's more of like, what does a billion dollars in impact look like in terms of the number of companies that we could support or fund in terms of maybe like non-dilutive grant opportunities or revenue-based financing. So I think that that's a really exciting opportunity to think about. And it's not from a capitalistic mindset of like, I want this to be worth a billion dollars or I want that money in my pocket. I think about where that money could go. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you are familiar with our app launch parties that we were throwing both pre-pandemic and we even were able to have a successful and safe one in Memphis, uh, Tennessee. And we're planning to bring that back um, in this fall safely as we figure out those dynamics. Uh, but at the end, there's a Q&A session. And just to take a step back, these app launch parties are just meetups where I try to make it as tech as possible, pizza, wine, you're scanning QR codes for the agenda and meeting people who are VCs, angels, and also people who are just curious, interested. We have people who are plus ones, don't even know what they're coming to, but it's a magical time, very short agenda, but the founder has four minutes to just tell their story. It's not a pitch. We don't want them on their heels. It's not, you know, you're competing for money. It's just a meetup. And at the end, there's a Q&A session. And that to me is my favorite part. So let's say you're able to come or we come to LA and we have one in LA and the mic comes to you. It's your turn to ask a question. What question are you asking of that founder at the app launch party? How would they describe themselves that doesn't include what they do? I think it's always interesting just to kind of learn people's backstories. And so whether they say, you know, I'm a parent, I'm a coach, I'm, you know, I think we always lead with what we do as our identity. I think I'm definitely one of those people that my identity is tied into what I do very much so. But I think we're whole humans outside of the jobs that we have. And even if there's a personal connection to that, even if it's part of your identity, I think that there are so many layers to us that we don't always either get to talk about or think people are interested in. And it's like there's something in like the status of what you do that makes people be able to put you into a box or like understand how to approach you. And so I think it's just unraveling some of those those layers and just seeing like who you are as the person underneath. And oftentimes who that person is, it will either inform kind of what they're doing or maybe give me a better insight 
into how they got to you know running this business or starting this company. But also it's just fun to know like who people are outside of the identity of what they do. I love that. And the way that you're thinking about that, that is hugely valuable and something that I don't think I've heard someone ask quite like that just yet. Uh, does it sound like we've come to sort of the end of our road here on the interview? We've cycled through a lot of these questions, but your responses have really given us a glimpse in the grid 110 and LA specifically. But this last question is, is one of my favorites and it's what's the most valuable thing that you do for the founders who come through grid 110? I feel like there maybe are two answers to that. There's the answer that I think in terms of the value I give is is just connections. And so often connecting them, like they joke that they call me the plug because I just pay attention to Twitter newsletters. I'm often dropping in. It could be grant resources, uh, other programs, pitch competitions. Usually if somebody asked me for something, like somebody at nine o'clock last night messaged me and was like, don't answer this until Monday. Of course, I'm going to respond. But like, do you have a recommendation for a CPA? And I literally had one like off the top of my head that I could give them. And so just have collected a very odd wealth of resources in my brain and somewhere on my computer that I can share with our founders. But I think that there's a huge amount of value in just listening to them. And so creating a space where when they book office hours with me, it's almost like, you know, how do you want to utilize this time? Like what's on your mind today? And maybe there's a business question that they have, or maybe there's more of like a, like interpersonal, like personal like question. Somebody was struggling with leadership recently, or even just struggling with imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And like we run in waves of that. And I think it's oftentimes just level setting for them that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> We're all just figuring this out together. Even the people that maybe seem like it have it together behind the scenes, they have similar feelings and have days like you. So I think it's just giving opportunity to listen first before you're firing back with feedback or insight or whatever it is that you think that they should be doing. Just giving them the space to like feel like they, they can be seen and be vulnerable if they need to and to gain that trust so that you can have a great relationship moving forward. The traces of your success are evident from these answers that you've been providing. That's very insightful. Uh, so we do have a bonus question, right? Because, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you fit the criteria. I know there's not strict criteria, but you know what I mean. And you want to reach out. What is the best way to get in front of you? What is the best way to connect, the best way to reach out, the best way to get a response, whether it's on Monday, earlier, later? What is the best way to connect with you, Mickey? So I'm a in real life introvert, but I'm a digital extrovert. So most channels are easy to, to kind of reach out to me. I would say Twitter is probably the easiest. So I'm at Mixter on Twitter. You can reach out via LinkedIn. I always ask like if they're specifically with LinkedIn, if there's a reason that you want to connect, like put it in that intro. I get a lot of LinkedIn connections and most if I don't know who or why or you know what the reason is. So if like you heard about me on this podcast and you want to talk about X, Y, or Z, like make sure you put that in there or even in like any outreach that you have. It's hugely helpful for me just to kind of level, like know where, where do you come from and how can I be helpful to you and for me to prioritize where I might be able to fit that in. But I always take, you know, cold outreach. I'm actually scouting for a venture fund. So more than happy to talk to companies, whether I feel like they fit the thesis or not. I took a bunch of calls yesterday just because I love just 
doing this and talking to founders and getting to know they're working on and if I can be helpful to them. So please feel free to reach out. Absolutely. And love that. That is very practical advice for sure. Uh, So with that, we'll let you have the last word for anybody listening. And with that, we will bid you adieu, but Mickey, take us home. Thanks so much. Yeah. So if you're interested in whether you're in Los Angeles and want to know more about the resources that we have, you know, grid110.org or at grid110 on all the social channels, um, we will be making an announcement soon around expanded program opportunities. So keep an eye out for that. You know, hop on our newsletter. Easiest way that you'll be able to find out about new program opportunities and things that we're doing. But we are excited to set our sights outside of Los Angeles. So even if you're not here uh, in LA, if you're somewhere else, if you're in Nashville or Asheville or anywhere in between, stay tuned. More to come from us. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.